Hello everyone, my name is Nicole. And I'm Tianhua. And we are the Diploid Duo. Welcome back to another episode of our podcast where we discuss about new and exciting frontiers in biological research. Welcome back. Um, let me start by providing a short summary about the Luna COVID-19 vaccine, which uh, will be referred to as Luna from here on just for the ease of reference. So uh, I think Prof we did uh, briefly introduce uh, Luna. Uh, so basically, Luna leverages on the mRNA technology, similar to the other uh, vaccine candidates developed by uh, Moderna uh, and Pfizer. However, there is something that actually makes Luna different from the others. So Prof Wee, would you like to tell the listeners what makes Luna different from um, Moderna and Pfizer's vaccine? Yes, um, so um, the vaccine I'm working on with um, um, Arcturus on this Luna Cov-19 is, is a, a self-replicating RNA vaccine. So um, so what Moderna and Pfizer, or rather the BioNTech have done is, is they have uh, basically taken the spike gene and then put it into the form of an mRNA. So for the scientists, you know, it's going to be 5' prime capital 5' prime N and a poly-8 hill. Um, what we have done with Arcturus is to add a second gene, and the second gene comes from the, the replicase from an alpha virus. So an alpha virus is, uh, you know, is for example, like chikungunya virus, so it belongs to that family, uh, but it's not chikungunya, it's another one. Uh, and the alpha virus now would replicate this RNA. Uh, it will also make a thing called the subgenomic RNAs, where it, it, it just uh, as a, as a promoter in the middle of the RNA, the uh, the replicates will then insert into and just transcribe uh, the downstream uh, spike gene. So so therefore we know from alpha viral uh, virology that a virus would make a lot more subgenomic RNA than it would make the genomic RNA. So that will has the effect of amplifying the amount of spike gene in the cell. Now why why we went after a self-replicating RNA vaccine is. For several reasons. One is practical reason. You need a lot less. Um, you you need to inoculate vaccine. The dose can be a lot lower, right? Because it expand or multiply in the body. Two is uh, we chose that also because we've been studying um, the yellow fever vaccine. So my 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 journey into vaccines was actually a bit uh, by chance because I was trying to understand dengue, and of course you know you can't infect people. But yellow fever is a close cousin of dengue and there's a very good vaccine and it's a live vaccine. So we've so been we've using been that kind of simulate infection. Well, one of one the of things the that we learned from the yellow fever vaccine, vaccine is that it is arguably the best vaccine in the world uh, where one dose gives you potentially lifelong protection. And the reason why it gives such good uh, protection is because it replicates. So we, should, we have now seen that at the longer it replicates, the better the, the neutralizing antibodies, right? And and so, um, you know, that kind of shaped our thinking. And so when it came to uh, developing our own vaccine and given the opportunity to partner with Arcturus Therapeutics, who were also thinking of a self-replicating vaccine, then naturally it became something that, you know, we, we both were on the same page. Um, and, and so that's how we, we got into this, uh, this um, so, um, Prof, you did mention a little bit about yellow vaccine. I was just wondering if you could, you know, um, 
further elaborate um, on the journey of the vaccine development as well as the motivation behind it. And the motivation was actually simple. It was uh, uh, it was the Economic Development Board or EDB that and why EDB it was because you know they were ones that were looking around to see you know if Singapore could um, uh, have purchase agreements with right, which companies would uh, Singapore buy the vaccine from. If it was, if the vet, uh, development is successful, and this was early part of twenty uh, twenty, uh, so had no assurance that Pfizer's vaccine would work, no assurance that Moderna's would work, Zeneca. They looking, and you know the people saying they were developing vaccines, but so this is back in March of twenty twenty, and so when, uh, so one of the solution therefore was that Singapore. Has its own insurance plan, that, and so then uh, after, uh, EDB then put us in touch with uh, Arcturus, and that's how the whole collaboration started. Um. So okay, we've just established that you know the whole um self replicating mRNA technology in Duna is you know really novel and advanced. Um. So how would this you think give a competitive edge, uh, against the other vaccines in terms of you know, two very important uh, uh, criteria, safety and effectiveness. So, um, in terms of the safety, based on what we've seen so far in clinical trial, it's, it's quite comparable. I'm not, I don't think the numbers are big enough now um, for us to say that there's, there are fewer side effects with uh, lunar COVID-19. I think that's a trend towards, uh, um, it's less reactive than Pfizer-BioNTech, but I, this is just maybe un and I'm looking at things through the more optimistic lens. So, but I think by and large, the kind of side effects are pretty similar. Uh, the effectiveness part is still uncertain because our vaccine is currently in phase two clinical trial. Uh, it's going to go into phase three soon. Um, but until safe, uh, the efficacy data is known, we, we won't be able to compare the outcome with um, Pfizer's and Moderna's. Except to say that if this, because of the 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 RNA replicates and and would expand right in in terms of the numbers in our body and therefore amplify the ex, uh, expression of spike protein, um, we are still exploring the possibility that this could be a single dose vaccine. Now, if this was a single dose vaccine and you don't need a second dose, then the effectiveness will be greater because then you don't have to worry in don't have to require someone to come back for a second. Right, thank you. Um, to add on, to qualify for the study conducted by Sing Health for testing of Luna, it was advised that those who has chronic conditions such as high blood pressure or diabetes must have their conditions stabilized and well controlled in order to volunteer for the trial. By doing so, are we not diversifying the different effects one can have from a vaccine and will that skew the results in any form? Yeah, it, it won't skew, the, I don't think it will skew the results uh, in terms of the efficacy, uh, the immunogenicity and efficacy. Because um, unless, you know, you're trying to test this in, say, uh, someone who is um, you know, HIV positive and, mm. and have low CD4 T cell count, then maybe, right? Uh, or on, on drugs like steroids that are immunosuppressive. Mm. Um, but uh, the reason why they, they have 
all these uh, conditions in place, as I said earlier, it's just so that we avoid having those stop start and stop start because of, you know, um, someone with not very well controlled diabetes is now admitted to the hospital for diabetic control, right? So it's more for those reasons. I think I ask because there's a very high prevalence of um, diabetes and high blood pressure, at least in Singapore population. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So having those, having those controlled, well-controlled conditions in the phase three clinical trials, um, you know, when it really comes out into phase four, which is the whole population, mm-hmm. you know, will it affect and people mm-hmm. be alarmed mm-hmm. by the different side effects because they will be thinking that, hey, you know, there isn't such a problem in phase three. How is it? How come so that I have high blood pressure but I'm affected and I have mm-hmm. side effects? Mm. Uh, it's looking at um, how the, the rollout of Pfizer and, um, Pfizer's vaccine in Singapore, that doesn't seem to be a problem. Mm. Uh, in fact, the, you know, the diabetes and, and high blood pressure and all that are more common in the older adults. Mm-hmm. Actually, older adults have fewer side effects than younger adults. And again, it's consistent with the idea that you know side effects are also the immune response. And so the immune response of younger adults less than the older ones. Actually, it's quite it's quite an irony, isn't it? Is that uh, younger adults do have a more robust immune response, mm-hmm. but it is often the elderly that are more worried about the vaccines, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> that is very interesting. Um, okay, so I guess we also have another question. Um, okay, well, I we are very sure that you know um, there are many obstacles faced during your whole journey in um the vaccine development, the Luna development uh, uh, so far. So um, would you like to share some of those challenges that you've encountered and maybe also like what are the workarounds that sort of over, overcome the um, challenge, those challenges? So the, the main ones were, of course, the, the time constraint. I mean, we're trying to move as fast as we could. And Arcturus is a, a clinical stage biotech company. It's not a big farmer. It's not doesn't doesn't have the muscle of Pfizer or GSK or Sanofi Buster and all that, um, and so you know a lot of the work then fall you know fell on on limited number of hands, uh, so that that's one challenge that you know she manpower constraint. Um, my lab is primarily a research lab. We we have spun off a, a, a entity called Varimix, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, and that Varimix is set up primarily uh, to support clinical trials. So we, we've brought a lot of the um, things that we have learned from basic science studies into Varimix and then do it such a way that it's actually ISO accredited so that the results can be clin- used clinically and all that. Um, so that, that Varimix helped, but still it's, it's very different when you're trying to generate data for regulatory submission, processes that you need to put in place, the discipline in how you record these things, writing reports and all that uh, are something that is not not a norm in, in research lab. So we had to make sure that we're up to speed. Whatever we do, um, the results can be used and for, for regulatory submission. Um, so those were the things. I mean, beyond that, it was um, you know, trying to do things as fast as we could. <laughs> so we now have some questions specific to Luna Cove 19. How does the company plan to combat new viral strains? 
Obviously, the, the the most straightforward answer is that you know you replace the spike gene from the old Wuhan strain to whatever that we think is of importance, be it the South African or or whatever that's emerging in New York and other places, right? Um, having said that, because the RNA vaccine produces both antibodies as well as T cells, and that potentially the T cells could be more important than the antibody, and I think actually it doesn't matter because the T cells from our data and from many others, what we have found is that the T cells react across the entire span of the spike protein. So it's not concentrated in just one part. Because if it is, then when if that part mutates, then you'll be worried that you now escape the T cells. It looks like, you know, from, from the C to the N termini of the uh, uh, cells are reacting to all the various portions. What we have done is that we split it up into six different parts. I'm not so worried that, you know, the, the you'll get mutants that escape T cells. Eventually, the T cells do communicate with the B cells, right? You'll present yes. the information to the B cells. Yeah, you then even you know, eventually you know, get well, new right. antibodies and all that if you're exposed to it. Just as long as you're protected against the disease, it's good enough. Okay, so let's say a company do have an updated vaccine. Would the vaccine then have to begin all over mm. from phase one? Mm. No, the vaccine only needs to. What what the companies will have to do are these things called immunobridging studies, right? Okay. So what you have to, you don't think you need to go through a whole lot of uh, all the preclinical studies. All the you probably have to show a bit of talks maybe, but it's the level that show that it's equivalent to the mm. the product that's been licensed. Um, and then in human trials, you have, you have to do. Uh, small scales trial just to show that your know, new form of vaccine can produce uh, you know the same amount of antibody if, so you're, you're trying to show non-inferiority so that let's say you it does produce say x titer of antibody then the new vaccine can also produce x if not more titer so will volunteers who have already been immunized be then included in the study let's say i've taken like the first shot of the vaccine of pfizer and there's a follow-up vaccine do i continue with the follow-up mm -hmm. or it, it really depends on what the trial wants to measure. Um, so it's not so much a question of uh, whether it will work, but mm -hmm. it's what, what the regulator needs to see to be convinced right. that this new mm -hmm. design is okay. It's safe to use, yeah. Got it, thank you. I see. So um, I think also earlier, you briefly mentioned about, you know, uh, when we were discussing about the whole mRNA self-replicating um, technology um, that, uh, and also during our discussion about dose, um, uh, will Luna ultimately be working towards one uh, a one dose uh, regimen? We'd like it to be. Um, obviously, we'll need to let the data tell us whether it is. Um, there can we improve on it? I think we can. Um, but you know, whether we do it now or do this in, in the future. Uh, that that's uh, for actors to decide. This is a commercial decision. It's not so much the science. I think in terms of the science, I think that you can we can we can make it better. I hope that you work towards one dose because it's also very convenient yeah, for logistic yeah. reasons as well. Oh yes, <laughs> of course. I think, right. Yeah, I think not only just like the ease of logistics, but also uh, compliance. You know, in, in patient compliance, yeah. individual compliance. Yeah. So how long does a terminally differentiated plasma cell stay to produce enough antibodies to fight against the infection? We, we don't fully know the answer to that question in terms of how high a titer there must be uh, for, for, for us to be protected against a disease. So there's a, there's a thing that in the vaccine field is called correlates of protection. And, and what it is is that if you know that 
um, if someone has so much antibody in the blood or someone has so many T cells in the blood, then you can confidently say this person's immune, right? Uh, now, we don't know that. Um, hopefully, that will be defined soon. Uh, and that's that's the real hot area for research right now. Um, but we don't know yet that answer. And therefore, it's a bit hard to answer your question how long because, you know, what you can measure, the antibody that can measure is going to be produced by long-lived uh, plasma cells. But you have memory B cells that can search when you need it, right? Mm -hmm. So will the how well will the memory B cell protect? We actually don't know the answer to that question. Likewise, you'll have memory T cells. Uh, so what you can measure in the blood may not truly tell you how well um, your immune system would protect you because of these memory responses, right? right. So, you know, yeah, there's still some unknown that we're trying to deal with. The next two questions uh, will be sort of pertaining to, uh, I guess, shelf life and, and manufacturing. So um, the first one, would it be possible for Luna to be manufactured in a powder form? Yes. So the company is doing that now. Oh, cool. Uh, in fact, uh, we're hoping that that would be the form that will go into phase three trial. Oh, wow. Okay. So just wondering, what is the shelf life of mRNA vaccines uh, versus inactivated vaccines such as Sinovac, adenoviruses? And I ask because of the logistical reasons behind it, you know, because when we're talking about like mRNA vaccines like Moderna and Pfizer, it is often ultra cold temperature that we are looking at. So all these boys back down to the logistic uh, aspect. So what's your thought on it? Mm. The, the actual shelf life of these vaccines, I mean, that, that's uh, something that uh, companies will, will determine. Um, so, you know, you have a product that will come out um, that is being used right now. But at the same time, the company would then keep some of that and, and just monitor them over time and periodically take some out, assess for, measure for, you know, how well, how the potency and all. Uh, and so the shelf life will change. So they will relabel the, the vaccine once they have more data. So it, it, it's like, um, a, um, yeah, it's, a, it's a, a set of data that would evolve. Right? It's, yes. it's not fixed in stone at the moment. Yeah. Okay, so then, um, well, I guess that also brings me to like, sort of to add on to that for the Luna um, vaccine. Um, I mean, you just said that, you know, uh, Hopefully, it can be manufactured in a powder form, which obviously, you know, help storage uh, uh, tremendously. Uh, but then, you know, like, is the temperature storage uh, a concern, um, you know, if it's not manufactured in a powder form? Yeah, I think if you can store it at minus 80, it should last for a reasonably long time. Um, of course, the, not many countries may have sufficient numbers of uh, minus 80 uh, degrees Celsius storage facilities and freezers and things like that. So um, so that there there are logistic challenges, especially when you then try and move this into the de developing world, you know, in Africa and some parts of Latin America and some parts of Asia, it's going to be very challenging. Um, so, you know, peaking the formulation will help. And I think, I suspect that they will, I, su I suspect that Pfizer and all that will go on to do it. It's just that more prudent to roll this vaccine out fast than to try and solve all these problems and, and delay vaccination. Um, there is also another question here. I think this one, uh, this particular question, um, I think like both scientists and also non-scientists will really appreciate like, uh, uh, like a, you know, a simplified explanation of um, how, how are the mRNA templates 
in mm-hmm. in the vaccines or in Luna, for instance, actually synthesized or actually you know manufactured? Yeah, it's manufactured through in vitro transcription. So there's no cells involved, right? So what you do is you you first clone the uh, spike gene into a plasmid. You, know, you can expand the plasmid in E. coli and all that. And then you extract the DNA, clean it out. And then after that, just in vitro transcript, transcribe uh, to produce the RNA. And so the, from the production of RNA onwards, the entire thing is actually based on chemistry. There's no cells involved. Mm, I see. Okay. Wow. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, uh, Prof. Wee, for answering all our questions. I know we, we have had many, um, <laughs> you know, with regards to vaccine, you know, to, uh, and also um, to, like, you know, sharing your journey uh, um, of um, Luna um, vaccine development. So before we conclude today's show, I think um, we should end with, you know, some brief conversations surrounding two questions. So the first one is, at the end of the day, will it matter which vaccine people receive? And number two, how can we convince and reassure the general public uh, about you know, the safetiness of the vaccine? I think the answer to your first question is um, we, we can trust the regulators. I mean, HSA in Singapore anyway, um, listening from Singapore, the you know Health Sciences Authority, they 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 um they are a very good uh, regulator and, and they would ensure that whatever they license there's enough data to convince them that it's safe and that it will work. And I think that applies for many, many other uh health regulatory agencies. So if it's licensed it should it should be okay. Uh, then after that of course there like we discussed there are differences in terms of how long these vaccines are gonna last for the 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 durability of the protection we know from past experience that the inactivated may not work may not be as durable as some others but again that uh, systems in place from ministry of health to monitor this um and if they do detect signals that the uh durability is beginning to wane then they may they can advise uh, and and implement a booster vaccination um and you know how to reassure the public anything what you are you know um of you are doing is is important that you know the public must have ready access to facts and science in ways that they understand not not in you know not in ways that only scientists or scientifically <laughs> trained people can yes. understand and you know all this is important because there's a lot of misinformation there's a lot of um, myths um, out there and can't get rid of those misinformation and myths but hopefully, you know, for people wanting to make an informed decision, then they must have access to facts and, and science and, and what you're doing is, is really important. Right. I think adding on to the myth um, buster part, I think I play a role at this at home. I was just giving my family a 10 minutes run through and explain to them about how DNA goes to RNA. It will never you know, go, go back again unless you have the reverse transcriptase and things like that. I was just telling them about how this virus, because they have a lot of doubts about it. So I actually have to, you know, really educate my family, you know, about all this vaccine to put them, to reassure them, I think, yes. So I think adding on to these two questions, personally, I don't really think that the type of vaccine matter, as we have explained in the podcast, I think it's really very hard to compare which vaccine is the best because there are really many factors to take into consideration. I have witnessed the remarkable 
progress of vaccine development. I mean, we're talking about one, two years, you know, and things like SARS and MERS, you mm. know, compared to those, I think it's, it's already remarkable. And I'm sure there were many multiple checkpoints that were put in place to ensure safety standards were met, like you mentioned, FDA and also HSA. So that being said, I think we need to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. By getting vaccinated, we are also protecting not just ourselves and the community as well, as well, especially those who are unable to get mm -hmm. um, vaccinated. And adding on to this, I really believe that vaccination is also the key to economic recovery. Yeah, I think uh, I, I definitely agree with both uh, Prof Wee and um, Tianhua. Uh, for me, um, it does not matter like that much which vaccine people receive. It's more about the availability and the accessibility of these vaccines to, uh, you know, to the general public, to people in in uh, different countries, or uh, uh, in in all the countries, I think everybody um can do our small part in you know convincing and reassuring the people around us, um about vaccine safety and about you know actually getting vaccinated. Um, I mean, this is actually the the you know the motivation behind dedicating our first two episodes of our podcast, talking about and sharing uh, about the vaccine in the first place. Um, yeah, I think we we definitely can convince and reassure people by sharing information, uh, that is accurate information. Uh, we know about the vaccine. So, Prof. Wee, it's been a pleasure having you on our podcast. We have definitely learned so much more, and I think our listener, listeners would definitely agree very Thanks much. Thanks for having yeah, me. I think Thank I've you. definitely learned so much more. I mean, we did a lot of research, background, due diligence to prepare for, you know, our first and also today's show. But, like, I think we definitely learned even more. Uh, with you on the show <laughs> so thank you, thank you once for again me. and we, we definitely uh, hope to see Luna entering the market uh, really soon Singapore Pride <laughs> <laughs> that's right thank Singapore. you thank you thanks alright that was really enlightening um, we will end today's episode by sharing a few recordings of some of our friends and relatives who are kind enough to share about their personal experience upon completing two doses of Pfizer vaccine in Singapore. Some of the questions that were asked were, number one, how did your body react to the vaccine? Number two, a rough estimation on the time frame you felt the side effects. And number three, what was the difference between the side effects of the first dose and second dose? Okay, so for the first question, the injection area felt sore and it was difficult to get things done using the hand. And my whole body just feels very lethargic. And for the second question, I felt that the side effects, I felt the side effects in two to three hours after the injection, and it lasted about a day or so. And for the third question, the first dose didn't feel as bad. It was like a milder version of the side effect. And for the second dose, it's like a more severe version. First question, my body didn't really have any of like much of the side effects. So one of the um side effects that I felt was basically just like sore arms um, and especially the area where I got injected. Um, other than that, actually, that's about it. I didn't really have any other side effects um, in comparison to those of, as in, in comparison to my colleagues who actually, or, like, or rather like my friends who had the jab and most of them actually have felt feverish, things like that. Okay, so for the second question, Actually, to me, it was really quite immediate. So, um, comparing my first and second dose, the side effect, as in the soreness on my arms, was actually more severe for my first dose. Um, 
and the effect I felt was probably like a few hours after the jab. Yeah, so I think I have kind of answered the third question um previously. So um I think yeah, like I said, um the side effects were more severe for me for the first dose. So second dose wise was um I actually felt quite lethargic um versus the first. Yeah, but other than that it's actually fine for me. Um personally I feel that my body reacted quite a bit to the side effects of the vaccination. But uh, comparing to the first one and the second um, vaccination, there is uh, quite a bit of a difference. So basically for the first vaccine, the side effects were mild and uh, they only kick in on the second day of my vaccination. So just a very, very mild fever and um, body sore and a bit of a migraine but the recovery was quite fast. But the second vaccination actually kicks in quite quickly. It kicks in on the same day that I took the vaccine, even though the nurse did mention that both um, vaccinations, the dosage are actually the same. But I feel that uh, personally, I think the body feels that the second vaccination feels like a stronger one because um, the fever was actually quite high around maybe close to 38 and also um, migraine and body sores were quite um, bad as well and the full recovery took me about three to four days yeah so that was my experience for the vaccination (laughs) 